Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 83 of the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. In this episode, you're going to hear from lead pastor Nick Gibson and his assistant Jill Reese as they talk about the role of ambition in stewardship. This is a question that we received regarding the entrusted sermon series that we're in right now where we're talking about stewardship. So they're going to talk about what is ambition, how do we embrace it well as stewards, and how can we be ambitious in the right kinds of ways. Take a listen. Hey everyone, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to build substance disciples (laughs) for the local church. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't had coffee yet this morning. We are doing a series right now called Entrusted on the concept of stewardship, Mm -hmm. which is the idea in Christian faith that you own nothing but govern everything Mm -hmm. that's in your hands to govern. And that that is not shared by most worldviews and is fundamental to Christian life. Yes. And we had some, we had a question come in about ambition and how you can tell if you have too much ambition for something or too little and what the balance is with that and how that has to do with stewardship. Mm-hmm. We had a number of supplemental questions. I also got one about that we might talk about this a little bit about um, somebody who has more money than they need. Mm. And she was just like, do I am I allowed to go on a vacation to the Maldives or not? Mm hmm. If, and she had just given, this person had just given a substantial gift of multiple thousands of dollars to a mission thing we were running. Mm-hmm. But she was like, I still feel terrible. Like, am I allowed? And I think mm-hmm. that's an important question. Some yeah. people, I mean, not a lot of people have that problem. Most people manage to get their budgets up around their income. So they, mm-hmm. they don't think they have much money, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're very good at that. But um, anyway, we could talk about that if we get a chance. Yeah. So let's talk about ambition first. What is the Bible say about ambition and what a good amount of ambition is yeah so the bible per se doesn't condemn ambition as a human desire right in in fact in certain places it commends it or uh, even says that people were ambitious enough Uh, for example the basically the entire bible claims that human beings are not nearly ambitious enough spiritually they're not nearly ambitious mm-hmm. enough for holiness or the good. Mm-hmm. And that one of our greatest failings, perhaps the greatest failing of human beings is a lack of ambition to be good, to know the good, to be holy, to be grown godliness. And also I think scripture teaches to know the truth that we have great ambition to cloud over our sins, to live in darkness, to not be exposed. And we have very little ambition to find the truth and to mm-hmm. live by it. So in that sense, it depends on how you define ambition. Now, in the raw sense of like, should I try to accomplish more? Should I try mm-hmm. to rise to higher levels of responsibility? Right? That's one way of defining ambition. <clears throat> and biblically, the assumption is it really depends on your motives and your yeah. ethics. That's what matters. Yeah. Is that, um, for example, uh, uh, the probably the clearest direct statement about this in the New Testament is in Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says, he makes a plea for unity. If you have any comfort from Christ, then, you know, agree mm-hmm. with one another, be unified with one another, right? And then he says the negative, and he says it the way that NIV translates it is, do nothing out of selfish ambition mm-hmm. or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Mm-hmm. And, your, and then he goes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, and then he, there's this long hymn about how Jesus subjected himself, though he was God, he died the death of the cross, right? And he talks about how your position isn't the same thing as your sense of your position in the universe. Yeah. 
And so you can believe that you are the servant of God, mm-hmm. that you're no higher than a slave, like in terms of what you deserve, but that God can lift you up as high as he wants to. Right. And you see this in the life of David where God says, when David had sinned, he says, I look, I, I, when you were out in the shepherd's field, I know we cared about you at all. I, I raised you up to be the king mm-hmm. of Israel. I gave, I gave all these wives into your arms. And if you had, and if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more, right? That God raised him all the way up to be king. And one of the things David exhibits is a lack of ambition, not to be king, but David, a lot of people think this, they look at David and they say, David wasn't ambitious and God loved that about him. That's mm. not true. David was ambitious to do the right thing in the right way. Yeah. And he didn't always win. Like sometimes his temper got the best of him. Like the whole deal with Abigail where he was going to go mm-hmm. wipe out Nabal's house and kill everybody. And and Abigail's like, look, you don't want this on your conscience when you're king. And David's like, that's right. You're right. Mm-hmm. You saved me. Right. But a lot of times we're like the two times mainly where he doesn't kill Saul when he can. Those are the moments where he demonstrates that he is more ambitious to yeah. honor God than he is ambitious to be king. He wants to be king. He's ready to be king. When it's time for him to be king, he has no trouble accepting the office, right? Mm -hmm. But even when Solomon rebels against him, right, Solomon is one of the greatest examples in the Bible of Solomon and Saul, the two kings on either side of David, are two of the greatest examples in the Bible of bad ambition. Saul isn't ambitious for the office, but once he gets it, his ambition to keep it overcomes his desire to do it right. And so he'll do anything to survive. He'll do anything mm-hmm. to keep his position. Solomon's the opposite. Solomon will do anything to gain the office, right? He doesn't have a kingdom. And so he flatters and he positions and he lies and he does all these things so that he can become king. And, and no doubt he believed it was justified that because mm-hmm. David didn't protect his sister from being raped by his own other a son from another mm-hmm. wife and then didn't really do anything about it. And, all, and, and then Solomon ends up killing his half brother, right? And he probably thought in his heart, he's like, you know, my father's not doing, he didn't, he doesn't even rule over our family, much less this kingdom. And David's getting a little older at this time. And so you can kind of imagine how Solomon must have felt. But what Solomon did was he flattered, he lied, he positioned, he undermined the rightful authority, and he stole the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And God judged him for that. And, and David didn't, and David left. But ultimately, he didn't say, okay, Solomon will be king. Ultimately, he let his men fight Solomon's army because it was wrong for Solomon to take that. And if you let, if you let a society function like that where anybody can usurp the kingdom, mm-hmm. even the king's son, you get chaos. And the, whole, the only reason to have a king or a government mm-hmm. is to provide non-chaos in a society or civilization. And so you can see in David, this he comes into the kingship right, he leaves it right. He recognizes when he's failed and yet he holds that authority and he's ambitious for that authority. So I think the issue, there's two issues related to authority. Um, One is why do you want the authority, right? Is it about your vanity? Is it about your conceit? So vanity would be like, you want other people Mm -hmm. to think you're fantastic. Your conceit is that you actually believe you're better than everybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or that your ambition is selfish. You you just want to be fabulously wealthy. You want to have all the power. You want to have all the comfort. You want to have all the approval. Like you you want to have clear and present access to all your idols, and this thing will provide that for you. Okay, that's be selfish ambition. And if it's for those reasons, you're wrong. Hmm. Right. 
Now, the problem is that if you are already in a position of responsibility and you realize that's why you got there, you've got two options. You can either bow out or you can change your motives. Mm-hmm. And I think for some people, they're, they're Christians. They get into responsibility mm. for the wrong reasons. And it, and then their job really is to change their attitude about their responsibility. So if you became, you know, like if you became a CEO or business owner because you wanted to be fabulously wealthy and you wanted to vacation in a different island for three weeks a year or whatever, I don't know what, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then you become a Christian or you realize what it means to be a Christian in this. Mm-hmm. Then it's your job to change how you deal with it. And one of the examples of this is in First Timothy chapter 3. Is this monologue going okay for you, Jill? Because you could always jump in if you yeah. want to. I feel like I'm. Well, I, I think um, I'm, like, I'm still going in the right direction, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. I think this is all really good. What I thought of when you were talking was that it basically comes down to pride and humility, and you need to have a gut check of which one you're motivated by. You need either the humility of David, or you will either have the humility of David or the pride of Solomon and Saul, and you need to make sure. Yes. You are having the humility of David. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things you know, you know about me is I always say one of the reasons why religion doesn't work for people mm-hmm. is not because it's the religion is shallow, but they believe in it shallowly. Mm-hmm. And so you can't just say, oh, this is pride. I need to be humble. Yeah. You have, right. to, you have to drive yeah. one step deeper and say, what am I proud about? Mm-hmm. What is the idol? What is the lie I'm believing? What is the self-worship mm-hmm. that exists here? Or what is the lack of a feeling of security that's driving mm-hmm. this or whatever, right? And and am I going to be courageous enough in Christ to face that? Mm-hmm. And when I have conversations with people, it's, it's very different things. Sometimes it's we didn't have a penny when I was a kid. And dang, dang it, mm-hmm. I'm going to have six figures in my bank account. And I'm going to make it seven by, yeah. the end of my ret- by the time I retire. For some people, it's... Um, like I deserve to run this thing. I'm the best. And I like it's, it's mm-hmm. different stuff. And then with humility, it's not just, well, I need to be humble because if you just say I should be humble, that hum- humility is like, is self forgetfulness. Yeah. It isn't, it, it like, it doesn't lead you. So you have to, humility clears the decks. So what's really valuable can be the main thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I try to be humble in my marriage, I'm self forgetful about myself so I can focus on my wife, Alexi in her needs and like how I'm relating with her. Right. So humility allows her to be the center rather than myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in your ambition, in your work or accomplishments or how you live your life, humility can help you clear the deck only if you know what the good is. Yeah. Right. And so and one, that's one of the reasons why people are very crippled by when they have a misunderstanding of what child rearing is supposed to be, mm-hmm. or they don't understand what romance is for, like what a marriage is and why it exists and what it, what it's supposed to like, so, so marriage, for example, is supposed to is supposed to express the relationship of Christ and, and His Church in the world, and the beauty of the complementarity and diversity of God's creation. That it's different and similar mm-hmm. and bound together in this sort of like dance of unity that's broken apart by the fall and reunited in redemption and blah 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 blah. blah right. Mm-hmm. And so, a husband and wife are meant to worship by expressing that in their relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very theologically deep thing. And so if you just think, well, if I get along with my wife, maybe she won't have an affair. Mm-hmm. That's not deep enough. That's not, there's yeah. no ambition there. There's yeah. nothing but selfish ambition. You don't want to be betrayed. Well, right. that's a b- great way to get betrayed in the end because she knows the whole, everything you do is all about you. 
right? Mm-hmm. So like you've got to be, and so like in your work, you've got to have a theology of work. Why do we work? Yeah. Why do we go to jobs? How How is my life supposed to contribute to the flourishing of other people, mm-hmm. whether in providing jobs and income for them? So if you own a business as a Christian, a huge part of the pride you take, the good pride, the, the satisfaction and affirmation you take in you leading a company is, is that you provide a living for people mm-hmm. and you provide a particular service for people, right? And you've got to believe in the service that you're providing. Like if you own a candy shop, you better believe there is some good application of candy that, that <laughs> leads to human flourishing. Mm-hmm. If you believe it's all about obesity and sickness, you can't really own a candy shop, mm-hmm. right? You've got to believe that like sometimes it's good to have treats there are these special moments when you take people on dates or Mm -hmm. you take your kid out or whatever. And like you want to make that moment as special as possible. And so you formulate your whole candy store to like fit into that moment of wholesomeness that leads to greater human flourishing. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's, that's really difficult to do. Right. But, or if you own a garbage company, you got to know and understand how does the removal of waste contribute to human flourishing, the beautification, Mm -hmm. the maintenance of God's created world, and the flourishing of humans in it and all life in it. And you got to get that straight because if you can focus on that, one, you'll be really good at your business because you won't stay so focused on your spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. You'll focus on like, am I doing a good job in the thing I'm doing, mm-hmm. which is really how you need to stay focused. You'll have way more meaning in your work because you'll see your work as good in and of itself and worth mm-hmm. doing. And like you have to think that way theologically or your ambition will get all crazy, especially if you have any ambition at all. Yeah. And that gets back to, I mean, what we've been talking about in Entrusted, where you have to believe that you are a steward of what God is, where God has put you, what he's given you, the job he's given you, and that he, you're serving the master, which is him. Right. And right. Yeah. Right. Gene would say it this way. A lot of our charismatic friends would say it this way and they're, and this is good language where they say you have to know your identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's actually not enough. Mm-hmm. You have to have a theology of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. because if you know who you are in Christ, what you know is you're a servant of the Lord and that you serve Jesus and you exist to live as a son and daughter of God in free virtue in the, in the situation place. And you're and so what is that that you're doing? And mm-hmm. if you don't have a theology of the kingdom of God, yeah, that sense of identity isn't enough. You have to say, as a servant, as a, as God's steward, what is his estate about? Right? And you have to know that. It's about redeeming as many people as possible in into the great banquet of heaven with the gospel. And so you'll be committed to evangelism and sharing your faith and making, right? But it's also pushing away confusion and bringing in spiritual light. So you'll want to know the scriptures and you'll write, it's also about the command to bring flourishing to creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and about the complementariness of the genders and the fundamentality of, of the civilizational family and all of that. And like if you can get that ordered about that's what the kingdom of God is doing, then if you have your identities as steward straightened out, you go, okay, what is my master's estate about? Let me do those mm-hmm. things. And you'll go do those things and it will feel meaningful because you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. And at the end of the day, Everybody requires that. You cannot be happy. You cannot be without anxiety unless you know you're in the right place and doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And very few people have that feeling clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Great. There are more people who are doing what they want to do than what they know they're supposed to be doing. And that's why you can do some of the stuff you want to do and still feel anxious and feel Mm -hmm. misplaced. So, um, let me let me do let me two last illustrations here because I know we want to make this a shorter one. One is in First Timothy 
Timothy chapter three, where Paul is talking about elders. So these are mm-hmm. like basically pastors or leaders in the church. And if you're a Christian and you have any ambition at all, you would have an ambition to like lead the church. Right. And he, and so first there's a warning, like be very careful because responsibility has weight to it. And a lot of younger people don't understand that they want to rate, they want to be ambitious to be bosses or managers or mm-hmm. own companies or do things or run nonprofits. And they forget that like when you do that responsibility weighs on you, mm-hmm. it ages you, it, it like, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Like it may sound great to run a nonprofit, but when you're trying to like raise enough money to do the things mm-hmm. and then somebody in wherever you're working starts embezzling funds or like you find out about this corruption or that thing or your program isn't working mm-hmm. and like, but you're now your identity is bound up in this program and now you, you want to work even if it won't instead of just changing like you, like yeah. it is a heavy, heavy burden. On the outside, it looks like making a difference, but on yeah. the inside there's... On the inside, it looks like work. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so like as a pastor, um, one of like, like pastors just die. Like they just get heart disease and just die. Mm -hmm. If you look at pastors, if if I was going to bet, if you said, okay, I'm going to tell you a profession and you tell me if the person's going to be overweight. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I might guess police first, but I would probably go with pastor first. Um, there are a couple others. I mean, computer programmers are a little notorious because like, sedentary lifestyles, but with pastors, it's, you go to appointments where you eat, you sit a lot like a computer programmer, mm-hmm. but there is an enormous amount of stress, mm-hmm. especially if you have a certain kind of attitude about it. And so like, don't be too ambitious for responsibility, especially the responsibility of the care of souls, mm-hmm. souls, which last forever. Right. Mm-hmm. That's real. Now, one of the things Paul says is if anybody wants to do the work of an elder or is ambitious to do the work of an elder, they desire a noble thing. Right. And St. Chrysostom in the fourth century, who was a monk who got dragged into being a bishop, which is basically an elder of elders. Mm-hmm. He wanted to live in the monastery and not not have this responsibility. He's like, listen, it's a bad idea to get a monk to be a to be a bishop. Because yes, I'm not part of all the corruption in Constantinople. And yes, I'm from the outside. And that sounds like a great way to bring in purity or whatever. But like all I've proven is that I can be holy in a room with nothing in it. <laughs> right? Like I cannot lust after women when there are no women around. <laughs> I cannot lust after money when there's no money around. Right? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. you bring me into Constantinople and it may be a big problem. Mm-hmm. Right? And so like there's this, there's this great book called On the Priesthood where he like basically argues with his friend Basil that he should not have to become a a bishop, right? But when he talks about this passage, he says, listen, he says, Paul does not say the office of an elder. He says, or the authority of an elder or the prestige of an elder. He says the work of an elder. Mm-hmm. If you want to be an elder, you need to want to be there when a woman's husband has just died. Mm-hmm. You want to be the person in that room to tell her that God is with her and that her believing husband hopefully is with God and that the church wishes to gather around her and there is going to be, there is still life for her to live and let's pray together. Or like somebody can't figure out what to do in their marriage. It's crumbling. You want to be there, right? Like not in, like you want to be in that, those conflicts mm-hmm. and you want to be at that place. Not you want people to say hi pastor and like yeah. be re- recognized as the pastor or the elder or the whatever. Yeah. To be the one up there every Sunday or yeah. just because you want to be up there. And, but I think that that principle yeah. That you should long, you should be ambitious for the work, mm-hmm. not That's the good. office, the name, the prestige, the affirmation, the control, the power, or the comfort. Mm-hmm. 
I think that is a very key distinction. If you're like, should, do I want to become a surgeon? Well, the question is, do you want to do surgeries? Mm-hmm. Do you want to cut on people and try to make them better? Whatever that lifestyle brings, mm-hmm. or no matter how hard it is to do it, is that what you want to be doing? Do you want to stand for eight hours? Mm-hmm. And like, and if the surgery doesn't go great, the family might sue you. Mm-hmm. Is that, are you willing to do that? Are you going to do that work? Yeah. Do you want the work? Yeah. And if you want to do that work, then God bless you. Same thing with politics, right? Do you want to be a senator? Do you want to be a citizen legislator? Do you want to go in and try to come up with policies that will help everyone in the society flourish as much as possible relative to their capacity and some other things, right? Like, is that mm-hmm. the work you want? And if it is, great. But you're going to get slandered and attacked and everybody's going to hate you and everybody's going to call you a liar and there's going to be a lot of negative pressures, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. You've got a long, you've got to want to do the work. It's the only thing that's kept me in pastoral ministry for 15 years. Man, if I did this for the prestige, I would have like jumped off a building. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I like preaching to God's people. I want to study the scriptures. I mm-hmm. like, like even when I'm having like, like I'm feeling anxious and I'm trying to write a sermon. One of the calming things is when I can say, God, I'm right where I want to be. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do this. I've mm-hmm. always wanted to sit and try to find insights that your people don't have time to find or they don't know how to find and to bring them out and to show them how I did it so that they can, they can feed off of your word Mm -hmm. and your truth in their lives. Mm -hmm. And that calms me because I know this is exactly whatever I have to do, no matter who hates me, this is what I'm supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. right now. This is the work I've, I've either been called to or Mm -hmm. received a call to or accepted a call to. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's, that's the root of the word vocation, right? Like all of us, the work we accept to do or, or are ambitious to do, We've received in Latin the vocatio, the call to do it somehow. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have an internal voice or that God speaks to you audibly. It means that you're drawn to it and you feel pulled mm-hmm. to that work. Mm-hmm. That's what it should be about. Do you feel pulled to the work when you are your best self? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I tell people, they're like, I don't know what I want to do. My what The thing I tell them is grow in godliness. Mm-hmm. Grow closer yeah. to Jesus and grow in godliness. And as you become more who you're supposed to be in Jesus, then look at what kind of work you're drawn to. Mm-hmm. Right. That's good. But especially with younger women, oftentimes I'll talk to younger women who are like in their early twenties and they'll be like, I don't really know what job I want. Everybody says like, you're, you know, you're this modern woman. You should be blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And my response to her is that's true. You are a modern woman. You, it's great. You're getting an education. Do you want to be married? And almost all of them say yes. And I say, well then, it's decently likely that you're going to ha- make a lot of contingent choices in your life on the basis of a husband if you get married. So yeah, you need to create a life for yourself and you need to go do some kind of good mm-hmm. work and whatever. But like, if you don't have all the steps planned out, that may be good if you want to be married to mm-hmm. somebody else and live a life right. that is somewhat contingent. Right. Yeah. Um, be- and part of that is because you're really like, well, maybe she's going to be the one who he makes contingent decisions about. That's very rare because women don't like marrying their inferior. Yeah. They hate that. Which is why it's a huge problem that more women are getting college educations than men right now. Because women are going to be marrying yeah. people who are their educational inferiors. It's created a huge problem. But most women want to marry their their superior. Mm-hmm. Like, or they're at least they're like strong equal. And yeah. they want to marry a fairly ambitious man. And they, they kind of, they don't really want him to be their lesser. And so if that's the case, then you're going to make a lot of contingent choices as that person advances, right? So sometimes the point is not knowing exactly what you're going to be ambitious about. To, so I'll bow end this now. Okay. Um, so maybe we should start with the thing that the human race is the least ambitious about. Yeah. Which is godliness. Yeah. 
and being God's and knowing That's what we're good. entrusted with, mm-hmm. understanding that we're a steward, having our identity in Christ and understanding God's, what God has said about the kingdom. He said in John, John's gospel, I have not called you servants. I've called you friends. Right. And mm-hmm. that isn't meant to be like, because we're buddies. We're like <laughs> such but he tells us exactly what he means by that. He says, I've called you friends because servants don't know the master's business, mm-hmm. but I've told you what mm-hmm. I'm doing in my business. Right. That's what that it's in that sense that we're Jesus friends. Yeah. That is, we are stewards we're servants who've been brought into the inner circle of the purposes of the estate. And what that means is, is that we can be totally free to receive a call to any sorts of vocation and to engage ambitiously towards all kinds of goods because we know what the estate is about, the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so with our identity, we must apply to something and we should apply ambitiously. We should, we should be jealous for the kingdom of God to come into the earth on earth as it is in heaven, mm-hmm. that God's name would be hallowed and that we would be saved from temptation and people would have their daily bread, that all that would flourish should be something that's greatly, mm-hmm. that we're greatly ambitious about. And yet we're not ambitious. And I think growing in godliness will actually increase the right kinds of ambition. Yes. Yeah. For evangelism, for flourishing work to focus on our work, not just what we get out of it. And even if we do make a fabulous amounts of money, which is going to be rare, that will say, this money is still a tool. This is still mm-hmm. part of God's estate. What does mm-hmm. God want to do with his estate? And yet we can still pay attention to the Bible where it says, like for example, in First Timothy 5, you tell the rich, he says this at the very end of First Timothy 6, at the end of First Timothy 6, I think actually, you, P- Timothy, you mm-hmm. tell the rich Christians, God has given us everything for our enjoyment. Mm-hmm. But then he says, you tell them not to put their hope in their wealth. But you tell them to put their hope in Jesus who richly gives everything that we need mm-hmm. and that he is the riches. And I think if rich people do that, they'll know what to do with their money. And they're in, and it's, it would be just like any person rich or not to say, how much does God make, want me to give? And then I can stop. And mm-hmm. God doesn't function that way in the new Testament. He says, think about Jesus. Think about the estate, God's estate. Think about what God is like. Mm-hmm. Think about what he's done for you and now do whatever you want with your, with your money. Be a free, virtuous steward. And some people will give away 90%. Some people won't. Some, but, but people will be generous. They, mm-hmm. will, find, they will find a generous space mm-hmm. that will please God. Because mm-hmm. there's a self-forgetfulness that comes from growing right. in godliness that leads you to the right kind of ambition and use of what you have. Right. But, but some of the most godly, wealthy people I know are not embarrassed about their riches. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not apologetic. They don't feel self-loathing about it. Yet they're very generous. Yeah. And I think that that is where a Christian rich person needs to find their place. They shouldn't feel guilty about having the riches because that just assumes socialism, which is essentially atheist, that like only the government could Mm -hmm. know what to do with massive amounts of money. No, you are the steward. Mm -hmm. You are God's government. Mm -hmm. You are his, his emissary and he's entrusted a certain part of his estate to you. So long as your riches are not wrongly gotten. So long as you got them by providing Mm -hmm. flourishing for others. Does that make sense? If you've done that, then those riches are in your hands to do with as you will. And some of that is the enjoyment of the steward who is, who is working the living that God has given him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that wealthy people, um, I think that wealthy people will live richly oftentimes. And I think God's blessing is on that. Right. But they will be generous mm-hmm. and they yeah. will be conspicuously generous 
well, I would say this conspicuous to God, anonymous. Yeah. To men. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks, Nick. Um, if you guys have other questions, please send them to us throughout the interested series and we'll try to do more of these. Yeah. But yeah. Thanks. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.